Well, good afternoon, everyone. The H1B Guy here. And today, the H1B Guy Live with Sophie Alcorn, founder of Alcorn Immigration Law, for a live discussion around H1B layoffs, the H1B lottery, and hopefully taking some of your questions and comments. But before we get started, I'd like to ask you if you have, please subscribe to the H1B Guy channel here on YouTube and like this video to produce more content like this for you. I also wanted to mention that H1B Guy offers a I help businesses solve complex work authorization recruitment process awareness to employment-based immigration benefits. If I can help you, please reach out. I'd love to hear how. And you can connect directly with me via the com. Today's live stream is proudly brought to you by and path to Canada for high skilled immigrants currently located in the U.S. whose status may be on by perm-ads.com. The industry and immigration attorneys navigating the complex perm recruitment ad phase of the labor squad. Are you a technology professional facing challenges? Don't leave your fate up to chance. Our partner, Mob Squad, has a solution squad. Well, I'd like to to the H1B guy live and just a little quick background here. Founded Alcorn Immigration in 15 and I became aware of you Sophie from your dear Sophie uh, column on TechCrunch that 19. But really over I'd say the last 3 months you have appeared on the national circuit, national outlets, um, discussing these massive layoffs specifically around H-1B layoffs and really trying to provide options for individuals been impacted or the big tech that, that, that we've seen out there. Really appreciate and, and say thank you so much. Really appreciative of your time. Um, wanted to have you want to talk about the lottery specifically um and and also and then kind of a look ahead of of what you're seeing and and thinking about what's going to happen as, as we move forward in in 2020 so thank you so much for for just oh morning God. your time afternoon thank my time you, yeah, yeah thank you uh, no really really so appreciate great to it. be here thank you thank you so much for having me and Thank you for everything you do to keep people aware of what's going on. And I just, I love your approach. And, uh, you know, as immigration lawyers, we're like, oh, yeah, we know everything about immigration. But really, we know the legal aspects, but there's so many social, political, strategic, compliance human other business sides of the whole thing. And I just love the way that you, you know, bring light uh, to, to the whole, everything about H1Bs. So thank you. And it's an no, honor to I, be here. That means a lot. I know we share many mutuals and um, I think this is a good time to mention. I had the opportunity to join you on your podcast, episode 129. Mm -hmm. There's a link in, in the description of the video for those that haven't uh, maybe listened to to that before um, immigration component of what's going on in our world right now. And um, I think that's also a good awesome. reminder, disclaimer, right? Like I talk about that on the channel all the time. Anything I talk about opinions for entertainment purposes. Um, however, you are <laughs> an immigration attorney legal advice. But, so it's a, it's well, a good balance. But you then know? My, my disclaimer is this is not legal advice. This is for educational purposes. If you want individual legal advice, please go talk to an immigration lawyer, yep. whether you're a company or you're exactly. a person with an H-1B. Uh, this is general. Yep. We're here to comment on the overall situation. It, it, exactly. And, and I, um, anytime somebody reaches out to me and asks, hey, Hey, you know, do you have an immigration firm that, that you can refer over? I always mention Alcorn Immigration Law of, you know, kind of my preferred um, recommendations. And you guys have handled cases for individuals in the past. And, you know, just 
absolute excellent feed the professionalism of you and your team. And so really excited to have you in and just let kind of Thanks. jump yeah. right into it. Oh my here. God, where should we start? Um, There's so much. I, I think we should start with the September look ahead go to. Um, and, and I think on the staffing side, we see some of shifting. And you started to see some of the impact of the excessive hiring when he won and, and continued really kind of through the 2022. Excessive hiring. And then what? what? No, that was all justified by valid business needs. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, I, I think that though shift though that we've seen from a lot of projects that were being ramped up during kind of the, the pandemic window, the, that two-year time frame. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I, I to see the cuts happening of verticals but a lot of tech driven and so that creates a lot of panic and hysteria in the staffing world tech staffing but the demands still been extremely high and the thing That's that i found most things about this there's yeah. still a, a vast number of tech job openings in the united states so it's like what what is happening yeah. here but we felt it even in may of 2020 two after h1b season it was like oh great the great resignation there's going to be so many companies that need to hire people let's keep going those covid numbers were still like the, the business result the, the the financial aspects of the post-covid you know mm -hmm. business boom right we were still yeah. feeling it but what we saw in the world because we work with a lot of our very early stage technology startups and immigrant founders and they're rapidly scaling teams and what we saw in that world was these like black swan memos and the VCs being like, mm, conserve your capital. There might be some sort of financial event coming mm -hmm. and we don't want you frittering away our VC dollars on mindlessly expanding mm -hmm. headcount because that might not be necessary anymore. So we were like, wait a minute, we were expecting another 2021 boom. Where did this go? So yeah, 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 yeah. I, I totally know what you're saying. It's just money kind of go became more expensive. Yeah, and going back to May, all of that application window for the 2023 H1Bs. Yeah. So you have this like this occurrence in the middle of the application window. One of the most interesting things that you've talked about is your H1Bs impacted layoffs, right? The 60-day window. Mm -hmm. um, we've mm -hmm. seen legislators request it up to 80 days. USCIS comes out. I think it's going to stay at 60 days. So for me, right, like outside of chain leaving the country, if I'm an H1B impacted by a layoff, what is the best option for me depending on my situation? Okay. So... If you're worried about getting laid off, but you haven't been laid off, the things you can do before getting laid off are either uh, apply for a second concurrent H-1B to work part-time at another company. There might be uh, intellectual property ramifications of this or employment law ramifications with your existing employer separate from immigration law. So please work with a lawyer to figure those out. But Immigration law allows you to have two H-1Bs at a time. So if you went through the lottery, you're working for some company for 40 hours a week and you want like insurance, you could go to a small company and they could sponsor you for a five or 10 hour a week H-1B and you could work there part time when it's approved. And then that way, if the big company lays you off, you're not out of status. You're still maintaining active H-1B status even for five hours a week. And then that other company, you can either ramp up your hours or just continue part time as you then layer in another full-time job eventually. So that's like the easiest way to get more time runway. Uh, if you have been laid off and you're looking at that 60 degrees period, one thing to try to negotiate with your employer before you sign the severance package is, hey, 
in lieu of that cash, because I have a lot of savings, but in lieu of that cash, could I please like extend my last day? And can I please legitimately keep working mm -hmm. at your company and maintain my access and actually do work for you until a later end date? Um, because the 60 days is calculated after the cessation of employment. And I think mm -hmm. it's risky if somebody's on garden leave and they're still getting paychecks, but all of their Okta or whatever account has been disabled and they're not doing work. Um, I don't think that you're like actually maintaining your status there. And I don't mm. think that you should be uh, delaying your 60 day count until your last paycheck in that scenario. So legitimately continuing to work as long as possible is helpful. And then in that 60 day grace period, you want to find another job as quickly as possible, but if you don't have one by the end of it, you pr probably your best bet is either um, a change of status to B1 mm -hmm. or B2 visitor to request an additional six months of time runway in the United States where you are not able to work, but at least you can be here. And then from there, you can switch back to H1B later. Mm -hmm. Try to enroll in school, but it's also going to, it's going to take a really long time. Uh, you could apply for an O1 through a company or an agent to allow you to do multiple gigs um, and pay their way to a faster green card. Or if your priority date's current and you qualify, you could self-petition a green card. Um, often our Indian clients or Chinese clients will go for an EB1A for extraordinary ability. Mm -hmm. um, from other parts of the world or people with a current priority date can also look at the EB2 National Interest Waiver Green Cards. So there's a variety of things you can actually do. And if you're like stressing that, oh my God, what if this is me? You can take action on a lot of these things now. You don't have to be laid off to chart your path to immigration freedom. And yeah. for some people, it's like a kick in the pants of like, oh, I guess I should maybe follow my dream to be a startup founder and be self-employed. And there are ways to do that. Yeah, I think so. Concurrent H-1B, one of the biggest questions I get around concurrent H-1B is like, only five hours a week will my ember know so they're so not going to know how do we address that question <laughs> mm -hmm. okay so there's a, this is a really interesting realm of who knows what when mm -hmm. so uh if a company lays you off or fires you the government will know because the company's obligated to inform the government that your h1b is no longer valid but if another company sponsors you for an H-1B while you're still employed, either because you're getting a concurrent H-1B or you plan to quit your day, your, your current job entirely and give notice, uh, nobody, nobody finds out. Like mm -hmm. the current, the, the future company um, typically would never tell your current employer for any reason, mm -hmm. although you can certainly double check that with them. Um, of course, the government will know, but they don't have a practice of notifying the existing employer that a new H-1B has been filed. Um, so really where this could come up is um, potentially on your I-140 petition or maybe your perm or certainly in your I-485, they want to know all of your employment history. So by that time, you're going to need to be willing to disclose it all. Um, in general, because uh, we represent a lot of employers, but also individuals in the startup world, um, you know, I, I think that a lot of the forward thinking tech companies um, really care about their people. And so uh, I've definitely had clients that have had that conversation with their current mm -hmm. HR of like, Hey guys, I need some additional security for my family. I understand that there's some, you know, transition here at the company and I'm just, you know, need you to know I'm going to be working on this other thing, totally unrelated. Here's what it is. Um, and, and even like the big fang, uh, fang companies, they have committees where if it's like Google or Facebook, like you petition the committee to be able to do a startup on the side and it goes through mm. New process, so it just depends on how sophisticated and large the company is and what type mm -hmm. of activities. But there's ways to fully disclose it, and I've seen people do that and successfully navigate the process. And also, you don't have to, but it might it might come up at some point. And that immigration lawyer that is helping mm -hmm. your company do your green card, they're the company's lawyer. They're not yep. your lawyer, so whatever you tell yep. them, they tell the company. So if you 
don't want them to know about your employment or your DUI or whatever. Like that's when you have to hire your own immigration lawyer for your mm -hmm. part of your immigration process and have them figure out, you know, how to communicate what to the company. Yeah, I think that's a great point. The concurrent is something that I covered from one of your posts, dear Sophie, I think it was like a year ago where you talked yeah. about for, for startups and that 49%, right? That's kind of the barrier and the founder startup for H1B, you know, right. the 49% mm -hmm. um, equity mm -hmm. ownership is, is the key there. The thing that you said about the, the, that when the time starts from notice of severance is something that's interesting to me as well. I get asked a lot and people I always have different like, well, opinions on it. And I think yeah. a lot of people are going to try to get away with it, but like yeah. if you were uh, fired from Twitter in November and you're getting paychecks through January, I don't think you should try to count your grace period into March because the USCIS officers read the paper. They know that Twitter did all their layoffs in November. Like they're not right. stupid. They, right. They're part of yeah, the I like of to American use culture. The, this rule of 30, I call it, is like, mm. hey, you know, generally from when your last date of employment was and then your last pay stub. For yeah. me as an employer, I look at like that's probably the maximum allowable yeah. when you know if i'm trying to look at it from an employment perspective right like as an employer i don't want to go any further than that if they can't provide that pay stub but the data so, so how do you define that rule of 30 what do you what do you interpret that as yeah i would say that from the what? date of like the last pay stub right okay. so if if the the severance date let's go by november 15th right and for me let's say the last pay stub was December 15th, there was severance and maybe some back weeks or whatever. I, as an employer, wouldn't want to look at filing anyone who couldn't provide a stub that was within that 30 day window from the 15th of December to the 15th of January. So, like within me, almost three and 30 days before you're actually going to yeah, file. Yeah, it's that the risk started. becomes too yeah. great as on the employer side I because agree. there's such a financial commitment, right? There, as you mentioned, the legal fees and then the filing fees both. And when we talk about risk from an employer perspective, employers want to mitigate as much risk as possible. Yeah. The demand and the need for the talent is there. It's just a matter of being able to provide the appropriate evidence right. um, as part of the application process. And specifically, if it's requested, you've got to be able to produce it. And that's where those lines get really gray, really. Quickly. And real practically, what this actually is, is your employee, your future employer's immigration lawyer is going to just tack your last three pay stubs into the package and mm -hmm. assert that you're within the grace period. And yep. um, the level of uh, the the depth of the adjudicatory process, right, is variable, and your company is probably different. Companies are going to approach it in different ways depending on what they're what you advise, what their immigration lawyers advise. Mm -hmm. Some of them might say like, "No, not worth it. This person has a valid multiple entry H one B visa. Let's just have them go to Canada and come back in. Like it's fine. Let's just wait for the thing to be approved." So it really depends. Uh, but, you know, but for somebody who doesn't have a visa, who's from India, yeah. for whom it's really hard to get a new visa, for example, maybe the calculus becomes a little bit different. And then it's like, OK, how do we in good faith disclose everything in such a way that if USCIS, you know, looks, they can see everything. But it's up to them on how they want to do it because they have, they have discretion in this whole thing. That's as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And they're, they're going to be the the end all deciding factor at, yeah. at, at the end of the process. Wanted to just ask a quick question around the B1, B2, because this has come up as well. So is that something that an individual can do on their own? Is it recommended to use an attorney to, to do the B1, B2 ch uh, change of status? And then coming yeah. out of the B1, B2 change of status to going back to H1, can that processing be done while they're still in the country? Do they have to leave the country and go through consular yeah. processing? What are the steps for that? Okay. Um, I wish my law firm could help all the people who need to do a change of status from H1B to B1 or B2. We simply do not have the capacity. So uh, we have a variety of resources for 
just like self-help, like here's some education, here's how you file an I-539 change of status, like here are the mm -hmm. questions to pay attention to, here's how to include your family members. A lot of people do these themselves. Okay. Um, certainly, there are a lot of situations in which it's really important to get legal advice on how to interpret the questions, how mm -hmm. to answer the questions, how to have a solid application. But USCIS allows for e-filing if you don't have a lawyer, but if you got mm. a lawyer, you're not allowed to e-file. So, so like, that has to be paper. <laughs> yeah, it's like to your wow. advantage to not use a lawyer because we can't e-file for you. So it's kind of messed up. But, um, you know, that, that being said, um, you just want to be careful about the types of activities that you're asserting that you're doing. Um, you want to make sure that if you're seeking B2 tourist status, that you're um, not going to be working on any startups or creating new companies um, that you are truly just going to be, um, you know, visiting your family or receiving your medical care. But certainly if you have, um, Kids, I would say that they could probably still stay enrolled in public school for that transition. Um, the B1 would be if you're going to like go to conferences, educational events, get a certification, talk to investors about start funding your company that you want to start. Um, so you just want to be really careful. In neither case are you allowed to be employed or earn mm. money. Um, so that's something to be really cautious and about. But then, are those typically issued in 90, 180 days? How, oh, yeah, they they're usually. OK, so this is OK. Yeah. So you've raised a lot of great points. Um, typically, the status is granted in six month increments. Okay. And it's independent when you're doing a change of status inside the United States. It's an independent process from whatever visas you may or may not have in your passport. So it's separate from if you ever got ESTA or if you have a valid B1, B2, if you're staying in the country and doing an I-539 change of status. Mm -hmm. Now, the screwy thing is that because USCIS is still uh, working really hard to decrease the COVID backlogs, um, the last I checked, the processing times for changes of status to B1 and B2 we're taking anywhere from a year to two and a half years, depending on the service center for where you live. There's no premium processing. So uh, let's say your 60 day grace period runs out on February 28th and you're, you don't have a job offer yet. Um, and you decide to file your change of status to B1, B2 uh, with a requested start date of March 1st. Um, you would be allowed to be in the US while you're waiting while the government's making a decision. So if they deny it on April 1st, uh, you would have to leave. But okay. if it's still pending, so March, April, May, June, July, mm -hmm. August, if it's still pending at the end of August, you're allowed to just you know be chilling in the US mm -hmm. doing nothing um, or doing whatever you said you were gonna do. So, there's a chance that you might not actually get an answer on whether your March to August chilling was okay until like yeah. 2025. So wow. you got to work with your company's immigration lawyer for your subsequent job to make a plan with them of, mm -hmm. do I wait? Do I link these chains of changes of status together? If you change status from B2 back to H1B, you have to wait for the H-1B approval to start working. You're not allowed to start working on receipt, unlike if okay. you're in the grace period. So that would be a case for premium processing then, right? It I would be, assume. but yeah. then sometimes as an immigration lawyer, sometimes we get an RFE saying, hey, show us your adjudication of your B-2. And we're like, uh, you're USCIS. We don't have it. You guys haven't made a decision yet. Here's our receipt notice from the other case. Can you guys like speed it along? Mm -hmm. So sometimes in those situations, it's like, oh, like it would just be better to leave and come back in if that person can, mm -hmm. you know, has a visa. But that's like so individually specific. But uh, so you got to talk to a lawyer about that. But but ultimately, um, my dad was an immigration lawyer. And the way he described it was it's like a chain and you need every link of the chain to connect. And sometimes you get to the end of the chain and you look backwards and then you just want to make sure in retrospect that they're all connected, but somehow they all have to be connected. But mm -hmm. if, you, if you need to reset it, 
you got to leave and come back in. And you also want to make sure that you're never out of status for more than 180 days because mm. that can lead to big problems as well. That's interesting. Um, last question on these layoffs around the I-45 adjustment of status. Um, you know, one of the things when you're, you're doing term, right, we employers certify that there have been no layoffs in the, yeah. the last 12 months. Do you see any impact of this in the next year? Yeah, this year, is like the plus? hidden side of this. It doesn't just affect the laid off workers. It affects all of the immigrant employees that were not laid off. That yeah. need to get perm. Um, uh, companies Ugh. that did layoffs will probably have to wait at least six months and then restart many mm. processes after that. So mm. there are types of uh, green cards that do not involve perm. And so if you're at a company that did layoffs, um, you could get, they could sponsor you for an EB2 national interest waiver green card. You could also self-petition that, but it doesn't involve PERM. You'd have to make an argument for why you specifically are in the national interest and why it's okay for them to not do PERM. Um, we also see that for the EB1 category for researchers, for intercompany transferees like L1, for um, extraordinary ability folks. So there are ways that companies can still do green cards without perm post yeah, layoffs. That, yeah, that EB1A I get asked about a lot and there's just a lot of documentation that goes into that that yeah. you have to have. Yeah, and this is um this is why I started the Discord group that I that I shared with you. So Yeah, let uh, me I'll bring that up right now. Okay, I'll cool. go ahead and share that link and post that in the chat. Um, and while I do that, I did want to mention if, if any of you out there have any questions or comments for Sophie, please uh, post those in the chat. We will get to those at the end. Um, so just shared that right there. There is awesome. the Discord link. Yeah. Um, so this is a group for people who want to get green cards uh, in the EB1A category, the EB2 national interest waiver category, or even an O1 visa, any of these things that are related to extraordinary ability or national interest, and you want to do it, be able to do it yourself without an employer or mm -hmm. you know, get rack up those accomplishments so that you can qualify. Um, we'd love to welcome you to that group. Awesome. Thanks so much for sharing that. Um, yeah, and I you. will also, I'll add that into the video description awesome. um, after we're done with, with today's session as well. So, so wanted to pivot to the H1B lottery. Um, yes. You know, Ooh, I love what, the predictions. Two, I'm so curious two, to hear your thoughts. Two, too. We two weeks ago, they came out. Um, a lot of been asking and I've been saying since November, I expected end of January that they would come out with the, the date. And I, I expected it would be March 1st. I thought the window would actually be a week longer than it was. Mm -hmm. I thought they would run it through kind of the, the next week, which I think is the 24th or 25th is that Friday. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, I really felt like, um, you know, this, when they came, when the, the notice for proposed rulemaking that came out, the $215 increase, and we can talk about that later too, but it, I started to look at some of the dates and I was like, well, there's no way they would push this until April, April 5th and try to implement this like immediately. And there's a lot of confusion around it. And it really, it was good that they clarified, look, March 1st through the 17th, um, pre-registration starts the week before, I believe, kind of the end of February, mm -hmm. um, $10 non-refundable registration fee. Employers can only register an individual once, but individuals Gosh. can have multiple employers register them, which is kind of one of these things that's been labeled the fraud of this electronic um, registration and, and selection process because we saw 275000 and. 2020, 315 plus in 2022. Um, and then for 2023, it was 483,000, right? Mm -hmm. Like almost yeah. a half a million yeah. registrations. And so, yeah, I think it's really, I'm really unsure right now. I feel like there's going to be excessive demand still. I still feel that Did way. I, 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 think I also that, think it's the best chance ever for small companies. Bingo. Bingo. And and I know a lot that are going in on um, OPT and OPT STEM folks that they've hired full time. And they said, this yeah. is our, our chance specifically in that advanced degree category. Um, 
but I still think there's going to be over 400,000 registrations and you folks do. are looking at me oh, like I'm crazy oh, because of, of the mass layoffs that have been going on of all mm -hmm. of the movement. But again, let's talk about that. The value of the H1B, it still remains extremely high. The, oh, yeah. the, the ability for employers to bring in high skilled workers from wherever yeah. they're located ar mm -hmm. around the world. And then folks that are already here in the U S on a different status H-1B gives them that opportunity to get on a dual intent and go down exactly. the perm labor green card employment based sponsorship. So we're still like a million plus international students in the U.S. at any given time. And that's um, like our system so needs to be overhauled. One of the places is really students have to have non-immigrant intent. You're going to yep. come to one of the richest countries in the world get a top level education and then, oh, I'm excited to go to my home country, you know, maybe for like a handful of countries, yeah. right? That makes sense. But for most yeah. people, it's like, go to America, live the American dream, right. stay, put down roots, get a green card, like, let's be mm -hmm. real, right? So... Yeah, come, come here and get U.S. educated, pay tens of thousands of dollars, and then only have 12 to 36 months to... Right. find an employer who's then willing to sponsor you like it it is broken when you think about that right and that it that you you start to talk about us educated now whether they've come here um and with the intent to be here in the long haul or they've come here and wanted to see work here for a little bit same, experience same full tuition for our yes. expensive uh us educational system you know? Yeah. So I've long thought that we would see an increase in that advanced category on the on the overall like H cap allotment. I, I've, I've thought I may move that number up closer to the, the allotment on the international side, which is 65,000. Right. And there's there's 20,000 available in the advanced um, degree. You think but, you want them to move the mass increase the master's cap set yeah, aside? I've heard some rumblings that that could be something that we could potentially see in the future. That would be amazing. But one of the comebacks to that is, well, if there's there needs to be restrictions on a on on country of origin, right? For oh. A and B, yes. And oh, that, that, we gotta I, get I rid of the country of origin. It's so correct. discriminatory. Correct, correct. Oh. I just don't see a world where that works, and. Um, I, I think you're seeing a lot of this climate change around the H-1B visa as it's viewed. The demand is still really high, but individuals that have been here working in the U.S., regardless of where they're from, that have been on H-1B visas, um, have talked about how restrictive it is. And so I think this concept yeah. of this is the number one way for high-skilled immigrants to come to the U.S. is on H-1B visa, um, but now it's becoming one of the most negative um portrayed as it relates to like the lifestyle and the right. restrictiveness of being on it but what are you seeing from from your end are you still seeing you know increased demand in in lottery cases do you think we're gonna see four hundred thousand, or am i overestimating here um i think that it's an amazing opportunity for small businesses and early stage businesses to put people in the lottery. I know that uh, students are being approached by not only main employers, but also um, uh, like technology consulting companies to offer them multiple roles and have multiple chances at the lottery. If you're a beneficiary going through this, you can be sponsored by different companies, but each company can only sponsor you once. So I, I just don't know how much um, there's, I don't know if there's like, if that's happening, to what extent that's happening of, of people getting lots and lots of lottery registrations from different companies. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, the demand for H1B from talented professionals is really high and America has this job, this labor shortage still. Yeah. So if anything, there's like a matching problem. And 
if we had a, I, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on this. Like, what if we had a system like Canada where mm-hmm. some government commission is like, oh yes, we need more software engineers. Let mm-hmm. them apply for themselves and they have to maintain employment for X percentage of the time to prove mm-hmm. their status. That would take employers out of the equation. We mm-hmm. could do what the economy needs. Mm-hmm. I think there there could be a lot of value in that, but just the way we're structured, it's like, you know, you can just imagine people getting off ships in Ellis Island, like, here's my letter from the company that needs mm-hmm. me to come. Please let me mm-hmm. in. Cheer, golden mm-hmm. door, America. Yeah. Um, it's a very antiquated system. And these dependencies are why then we're like, oh, H1B again, there's another mm-hmm. problem. Uh, mm-hmm. These people weren't treated well, like we need, but it's, it's just the fundamental incentives of the legal system are set up. Yeah, it is. And, and when it was put into play, right, you go back to, you know, kind of its current form and originally 1990, then early 2000s was, was changed. It does. Yeah. The fifties. Right. I mean, we can go back and trace it back to the fifties. Yeah. When I first launched this channel um, in, in kind of mid 2020, um, you know, I was, brainstorming ideas on what would a points-based immigration system yeah. look like here in yeah. the U.S. Um, and there had been, I call, I refer to it as the cotton bill. The senator from Arkansas mm-hmm. had a points-based immigration piece of legislation that he had introduced into the Senate. Um, but I refer to it as like an H-1B EAD, where oh, yeah. there yeah. would be some qualifications to... Um, point totals, right? You know, mm-hmm. command of the English language, education, age has to be part of it, uh, skill sets, right? And that individuals could self-petition, apply for this H-1B EAD that would then give them, you know, kind of a temporary status, whether that's three years or four years or whatever would, would come up with. I think the way it currently is constructed, I feel like we're not going to see any immediate change, but it does really have this feel to me, Sophie, like in the next 10 years, and I hate to say it like that, in the next decade, it sounds crazy, but I do think we will see some significant changes to not only the lottery and the way um, H-1Bs are, are assigned or selected mm-hmm. for, for non-exempt. I, I think we'll see the increases in the duration eligibility for the timing around H-1Bs. Um, and I think too, that, that there may be a possibility to extend H-1B time without having to go down a perm labor, a green card, permanent resident sponsorship mm-hmm. for, for employment base, which makes it temporary. Right. And if an individual wants to come live and work here, kind of similar to the way the TNs work from Canada and Mexico, two to three year increments, um, and not be considered dual intent, then that may be looking at another type of, of visa. But I don't I know if lawyers would love it if they didn't yes. have to deal with this. If you yes. could just hire people and you wouldn't have to, you just like, just find me the right person. Yeah. That would be so great. And then just the it, amount of, um, God, it's like the amount of brain power that it takes people to navigate this system. Like we could be using that to cure cancer yes. or stop yes. climate change or it's, it's know, so complex. national security. <laughs> it's so complex. And then you're dealing with the U.S. government who, um, unfortunately, you don't want staring at you, right? When it comes to audits or ICE visits right. or whatever that may right. be as an employer, right. that's like your biggest fear. And employers, when they start to go, hey, we've got an individual that's on an H-1B that we want to sponsor and they reach out to me and I explain to them kind of what that process looks like. And we start to talk about time costs, legal and filing fees associated with it. Yeah. Their eyes, I watch, they start to go googly, right? They're just not, they understand, but they go, wow, this is so complex. Um, it's, It's no wonder that like, I work with staffing firms primarily. Um, it's it's no wonder that I have a channel and a website dedicated to talking about this because of how complex it is. And to hear you say that and reaffirm it to me. Oh, um, it's so freaking complex. 
it's it such is. a it's um it's such a tax on creativity and business potential and mm -hmm. even like if you want to go into the national interest aspects of it I don't care what side of the aisle you're on, the Biden and Trump administrations agree that it's in our national security to recruit tech talent to the United States. Like we need tech talent here. They both, both administrations put it into their national security plan that we need to encourage mm -hmm. high-skilled immigration to the United yeah. States. And so I think taking employers out of it, I mean, I, I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity to serve people as I know you are too, but yes, I'm sure I'm confident in your, my ability to navigate and be able to provide value to people if this immigration system gets cleaned up. So that's really Correct. what I have to advocate for over the Yeah, coming. no, there's no doubt that years. like, you know, as you said, it's the, it's, it's about the, the brain power behind it. Right. And like moving with the cheese, right? That that's yeah. the, the famous book that's out there. I love that. Um, I read that book to my kids. I love that yeah, book. <laughs> yeah, it's a great book, right? Um, but I, I think that's the point is that it's so complex. It's so complex yeah. for individuals. It's so complex for employers. And probability to be selected via the lottery is 26, 27%. Yeah. Right. And that's just a, a general degree, number. Maybe it's going to be like 30% or something this year. Yeah. It, and it depends. They'll break down those numbers and we won't know that until, you know, towards the end of, of the yeah. year. One oh. thing that I was surprised about last year was there was no second lottery or third yeah. lottery or fifth lottery. They like got their calculations. Correct. Right. They selected what? 127,000 for 85,000. And Oh, but that I wonder me. if the flake rate's going to be different this year because of the layoffs. Too. Yeah, the application rate, right? Like, and what what will that look like on their selection rate? Right. Um, but the interesting thing, and I still have some folks that were selected, applied, met the June 30th deadline that still reach out to me and say, my case still hasn't been approved. Crazy, right? Oh, my goodness. And I'm like, well, you know, they're like, well, what can I do? And I always is say, is it the well, petition I... or is it the visa? Yeah, I'm. It's it's the petition in and of itself. And I'm like, you need to have your attorney reach out to their U.S. Yeah, liaison. Way beyond processing times, and especially yeah. if they got premium processing, and maybe they ran out of numbers, and there's some extras that never got adjudicated. Yeah. Well, and I wonder too if this was because going back to your May point when the layoff started. If there was a flooding of applications that came in right at that June 30th deadline, and then it just mm. overwhelmed them. And here we are, that's still, I mean, I guess we are six months away from that, that date at this point. Um, to not have uh, the case fully approved would absolutely be a concern for me. And that's, you know, why they're asking me these questions too. So uh, but I thought that was interesting. I was wondering if you'd heard of. of but on the other hand, like if you that. didn't use premium processing, maybe it's just Bingo. normal. Oh, it's nine months or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I always tell individuals if you can afford it, request it of your employer and offer to pay for it if they're not, because it gives you peace yeah. of mind. Yeah, and and it beneficiaries just, can pay for it if it's not required by the employer. It just so does. That's a big advantage. Yeah. Well, still going to have high demand, I believe. Um, really interested to see okay let's looks like. let's you you think over four hundred thousand? i do i do okay i'm do. gonna go with i'm gonna go with 375 or less okay so let's let's see yeah yeah so we'll uh i'll mark that and timestamp this at 43 minutes plus <laughs> and we'll uh we'll, we'll come back and check on that when they put out the uh the, the data yeah i think that's so uh, but what if know, what if we're both wrong what if there's six hundred thousand? because everybody's thinking about h1b's and layoffs and tech companies yeah, and demand and supply I, and jobs and openings and vacancies and positions and mm, who knows listen, I, I never thought there would be half a million but we right? were there last year i mean you I, remember I the days of the paper day. applications, right? And like everything right. that went into that before that April 1st to have that in FedEx and in the I in will the tell house. you back in my day when I was yes. a young lawyer in 2008 in the in the whatever the 2008 recession thingy was, uh we were still doing H1Bs into like November cuz there was no mm -hmm. lottery. 
because right. less than 85,000 people. Yeah, there wasn't, the demand wasn't meeting the, the annual allotment. And then so. if you, if you roll back in time, even before there had been that additional allotment in the wake of the whole um, Y2K yep. thing of like, oh God, we need extra engineers yeah. to like recalculate the dates. Mm -hmm. So we're going to do more H1Bs for several years. So there was no lottery then. And there was just a, a an abundance of H1Bs available. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, they're... And they, they, you know, they want to use them all, right? Like they will, they want to be able to assign them out. They meaning USCIS. USCIS, people who work for USCIS. Yeah, they very faithfully uphold the law mm -hmm. and try to execute the program according yep. to the congressional intent. So I've got one last question around the proposed increased fee. And then we'll close oh, yeah. out the, the lottery discussion. Um you know, I know you wrote about this and you covered a lot of the the increased fees and the why behind right. the Department of State and USCIS. But I had uh, kind of pontificated on this $10 non-refundable fee being such a low barrier to entry that it has in increased the demand from that electronic oh, registration. Certainly. So my, my, my thoughts were, as I said, like they maybe they raise it to 100 100 is not enough maybe it's 500 maybe it's a thousand and they make it non-refundable they 215 215 is what what they've proposed and being enough maybe it curbs some of the registrations as a whole but i don't see that having a real impact when employers are going I, I, that 215 oh. is worth it to me if i lose it great it's it's like literally gambling is what it comes a down company to. that's paying an immigration lawyer hundreds of dollars an hour doesn't care if it's ten dollars no. that's why i said a thousand so maybe so, they're just trying to cover their overhead with needing more adjudicators and trying yeah. to get through the backlog maybe it was calculated to cover their costs more mm -hmm. yeah um, it could be and I'm not good at math, but 215 times 400,000 is a lot of revenue for uh, for USCIS. When we uh, look at, at, at the, 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 the that's 86 million dollars. Wow, wow, yeah, they could charge a thousand and nobody would blink. Yeah, I mean, I think you'd see some curb at the thousand. I think that is think the so? threshold. I really yeah. do. Um, because I think you've just got some very conservative em employers out there that say, wait, I'm going to spend a thousand dollars and there's no guarantee. That's yeah. where, that's where you'll start to see the pullback is when employers start to start. So to what we do out. in the firm, in my, in Alcorn immigration law is we credit the, uh, employer's payment for participating in the lottery. So when a company hires Alcorn to put its candidates in the lottery, mm -hmm. whoever gets selected, we credit that towards their ultimate H-1B legal mm -hmm. fee. So the government could do something like that. Like it's yeah. a thousand bucks, but you get to deduct it from your filing fees later if you're selected. Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's a way to make it more. Which, if it's electronic filing, they're not having to return paper checks, right? Because yeah. that was a significant cost for them in, in the old system. Um, so we kind of alluded to the green card backlog earlier. I don't want to really get into this extensively, but, you know, it continues to grow. Visa Bulletin came out yesterday. Retrogression in EB4 um, and a few of the other categories. Is EB one two three no real movement, and from everything I'm seeing and reading, it looks like you know number usage um, is already pretty much allocated. I don't know if we'll see any movement maybe in April or May. I think we'll see some potentially, but that's really it. It's kind of a grim picture after what we saw in in 2021 and 2022 yeah. and, and EB three yeah. category in 2021 and EB two um last year in, in 2022 um you know I, I think you hit it on the head which is like the country caps piece is really the biggest thing that needs to change well, so, i mean i think so but then if you removed the per country quotas without increasing the total allotment yep then it like some it German person, like, I don't know, yeah. my mom's from Germany, then like German people will have to wait yep. four years for a green card and nobody's willing to tolerate that. But somehow yep. 150 years, if you're from India, I yep. don't know. 
like somehow. Yeah, I think that's the biggest like pro and con of that. So there has to be if you're going to remove the caps, you have to increase the allocation um, or the uh, the annual allotment. And I think that's been one of the biggest, um, you know, kind of hangups in the the House and the Senate, and mm -hmm. as they've debated some of this reform, um, but. To me, I mean, it's something that here's has to my be frustration with all of this is that uh, we 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 lump everybody together under immigration, but really it's like 20 different things that we're solving as a country. One mm -hmm. thing is um, how competitive do we want to be economically with the rest of the world so that the next wave of innovation happens in the United States and not elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Another thing is like, how many workers do we want to have so that our companies can deliver the most value and, mm -hmm. you know, pay taxes and create jobs. And yep. another thing is like, how do we compassionately want to welcome newcomers to our shores who are from lands of uh, unsafety, right? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, how do we feel about helping children who were brought here as, as babies who are part of mm -hmm. the fabric of our society? But they're all different, complete, like, like they're completely different things, but they all right. get shoved into immigration. Yeah. You know, we have a 20 year lobbying truce on how comprehensive immigration reform needs to work. And so if you're part of a faction, there's like this nervous delicate balance where it's like people aren't going to move forward and push for change unless everybody can get their thing but like mm -hmm. what those things are you know it, it's so frustrating it is and, and i think that i i thought the the comprehensive would be what we would see i really did yeah. I, I thought that that would be something that we'd see under the biden administration <laughs> now i don't believe that um, I, I've it's seen like Obama shows healthcare, right? They yeah, thing and exactly. And exactly. it's um, uh, like just to be real, there's so many farm workers and restaurant workers and domestic workers that are here without authorization, and there would be a huge cost to legalizing their statuses because right now yep. they they're working under the table and they. Americans get away with paying them cheap wages, right? Mm -hmm. So there's right. this, it's such a complicated socioeconomic thing, but at least from the perspective of business immigration, the system's really broken. So if we care about helping U.S. businesses succeed, yep. we definitely need H-1B and green card reform because the world's and most brilliant people are begging to come here, but we're not letting them in. Right. And that's that smaller piece of like standalone legislation that's going yeah. to have to happen or I try to do it. Executive order. Right. Like something along those lines. I tried to um, do it, Rob, with the startup visa. I, I helped yeah. Representative Lofgren. I got to help write the bill that the mm -hmm. House passed last yep. year. And they tried to throw it into like a science research bill yep. to get startup founders in here. And like it couldn't get through the Senate. So mm -hmm. like back to back to square yep. one and back then the regulatory change takes forever and it can be you know caught up in litigation the way DACA mm -hmm. has been yep so I don't know but uh we'll figure it out yep keep talking about it so <laughs> wanted to spend maybe like two minutes on 2023 predictions and then do like a rapid fire Q&A and wrap this up if that's okay, okay. great um so anything 2023 you know we're mid-february now anything that you think will happen by the end of the year that that we're not talking about right now um i'm still hopeful about increasing the grace period um i know that there's people in washington looking at that um i also I'm aware of some recent changes that are going to make the age calculation better for children aging out. Mm -hmm. So that yep. would be nice. And there's also new DACA, a new push for DACA. Um, but I think for the most part, you know, maybe backlogs will increase. Maybe it'll be a little easier to get visas, but I think business immigration is, is mostly sadly going to stay the same. So if yep. you're, you know, in the system as a beneficiary, definitely look at green card alternatives um, as opposed to waiting for an EB2 or EB3 priority date if you're from India or China. 
Yep, I agree with you 100%. I think it's going to be a lot of the same of what we've seen kind of the first two years of, of the admin. Well, let's roll through these questions really quickly, um, and then we'll wrap up here in a few minutes. So okay. um, Sharaf asks, if uh, can someone qualify if the publications are old? Example, back in 2012, 2013, for, he's asking for that EB1A. Is what oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We can certainly use that. We just have to show how it's tied to your current field of extraordinary ability. But absolutely. Awesome. So there isn't an expiration on the publications per se, or is there? Yeah, like sometimes like a startup founder is like, oh, hey, Sophie, I was on the Slovak national gymnastics team in college can i use mm -hmm. the national europe gymnastics awards like do you have a gymnastics startup no we're doing mm -hmm. healthcare well okay no we can't use it so we have to show how it relates to what mm -hmm. you're doing and contributing yeah. but yeah 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 but that's good to know there's no like expiration per se mm -hmm. i think that's important mm -hmm. Um, Ferlina says, hi, Sophie, I attended your webinar prior to this too. Is there a minimum amount of years you have to be in America to apply for EB2 NIW on H1B? I'm yeah, in my no. second year. This is the thing, now. Rob, immigration's so confusing that people end up making up requirements that aren't there. So yeah, no, there's no yeah. requirement to being born in a certain country. Uh, there's no requirement for being in the United States. People can apply for green cards any country mm. in the world um how fast it goes and whether you can travel in and out might be affected but um yeah if you're a malaysian person mm -hmm. in the u.s now in your second year of h1b you could absolutely look at applying for an eb2 national interest waiver green card as a self-petition mm -hmm. that's great and she had a follow-up question that said uh, is there a window of time to apply for h1b transfer can we apply whenever how long would it take there's no yeah, window no. right <laughs> like you Based on your your validity, yeah, so there's dates, like your three six and years, six year typically maximum that mm -hmm. you can recapture. But we have some companies uh, like that hire um, like somebody who's on cap gap at the end of their STEM OPT, and they got selected in the lottery, and they're waiting for their H one B to kick in October first. Like sometimes there's another company that's mm -hmm. poaching them. So maybe one day of work yeah. on their H-1B at the company that got them through the lottery and then they could transfer to the new company. Yeah. There's, there's no I always advise 30 days in that it's situation. It's safer because then you got to Yes, exactly. That's one of the – I've seen it done, but 30 yeah. days yeah. is a yeah. lot safer. Um, uh, Pramanath asks, why is there no movement for the March Visa Bulletin for EB3? Um and he's talking about the interfiling apps between EB2 and EB3. I'll take this one, Sophie. There just aren't numbers. Like, we can look at it, but the the numbers are oversubscribed yeah. already for the year. And so, again, this is going to be kind of the status quo um, unless we see slight movement in EB3 once those interfiles, for those that went up or down, <clears throat> depending, start to be calculated. And, Rob, here's, here's something now. that you might know about. I'm so curious about. Yep. The State Department tracks all of this with the Visa Bulletin and Charlie Oppenheimer's mm -hmm. the genius, and I hope he lives forever. But yeah. and, and like the field offices like call in or look up like, oh, do we have any more numbers to adjudicate this green card in our office? Yeah. Um, I, I feel like any of the engineers who are on H1Bs who do software could figure out how to automate the whole priority visa bulletin yes. system to make it real time it's like i had a high gas there are some sites that are dedicated to it and they've got some serious algorithms yeah. out there um but it's literally rocket science for sure um and uh you know charlie's a government liaison now for an immigration firm i, I don't know if you know knew that, that. But he, he, yeah he hasn't been yeah he hasn't been Who's doing, been the, doing bulletin the bulletin who does the bulletin He's been very quiet, whoever it is. Um, I remember his, I've, I'm forgetting his name, but I know oh it. Um, okay. I should have written it down. But yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's, it's crazy, though. Your point well, it's, is extremely It's sort of valid. like, um, it's cold here, and I had a high heating bill for my house, and I called, and I'm like, hey, I just got the monthly thing, but how do I, mm -hmm. like, change my, how do I change the programming on my heater Morning and nighttime, you know yep. how much I'm using on a daily basis. And they're like, oh, we don't have smart meters yet. So you can't have a daily rate thing. I feel like that's the difference we need. We need like real time live dashboard.
Well, and it's it, it exactly. Yep. And and it's the transparency behind it, right? Yeah. Because I think that's what creates yeah. the unrest. Um, so I think this is a good question here about applying for H1B without a relevant. Oh yeah. Degree. Employers can definitely help you with this. Basically, if you um, graduated in another field or you dropped out of college or you never went to college, there's a calculation for an H1B where three years of work experience in the field can be equivalent to one year of a college degree in the U.S. And mm -hmm. also it can be helpful if you got a three, a three-year bachelor's degree in your home country instead of a four-year bachelor's degree. Mm -hmm. So that's where your employer would work with an educational credential evaluation service. You could get letters from prior employers demonstrating your work, work experience in the field. So yeah, it's totally doable. Um, and the more specialized in the field, like specifically in engineering, whatever that may be, you know, the, the, the and the more years of experience you have, the easier it becomes, I, mm -hmm. I think too, just in, in my experience. Uh, two more quick questions and then we'll wrap this up. Okay. okay. Um, What's the most promising changes to the H-1B that you're excited about? Uh, he's, uh, Arjun says he's personally looking forward to in-country oh, visa stamping. That's a, this is a huge game changer, right? Thrilled about this. Yeah, me too. He's going to be amazing. Yes. Uh, they're doing the pilot. So just to recap, if you missed it, I saw this in the Wall Street Journal over the weekend. They're going to do a pilot program for the state departments that you can do in United States visa stamping for H-1Bs and L-1s. Mm -hmm. And I really hope it extends to O ones, uh, mm -hmm. but it's thrilling. The apparently the State Department did this in the early yeah two thousand four was the last time that they did it. It's amazing. crazy. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, and, and, um, and think about how things would have been different during COVID, right? And you know how this could have been some of these nightmare stories could have been easily avoided. You know. Yeah. Um, last question. I'll just answer this. Uh, Lagger's asking you about premium processing. You pay it before um, as part of the registration, I believe, right? Or is it if selected, it's at the application process? Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if selected, it's once you're selected, then it would be part of the application process. So yeah. So if you're selected and your employer isn't just doing it, you can say, hello, I would like premium processing. I would like to pay for it. It's currently $2,500. Awesome. Um, I'm going to bring up the discord link one more time, just oh, as a cool. reminder. Um, oh, yeah. So here that is for everybody. And I'll post that in the video description below. Um, I've got all of Alcorn immigration law, the website, social channels, um, subscribe to Sophie's YouTube channel, uh, the Alcorn immigration law YouTube channel, um, their Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, follow them on LinkedIn, like all the places, right? And now Discord too, which is probably right to you and even better. If I'm someone listening, I'm going here for sure. Um, but Sophie, thanks for spending over an hour here with me and all the folks oh, it on was. the channel. Um, <laughs> it, it, it blew right by, right? Like I, I know you're like, like, well, look, if it's slow, we'll yeah. just cut it early. We'll we'll save everybody. Yep. But I didn't even realize more than an hour had passed. It's so much fun talking mm -hmm. with you. No, I had some people tell me that our podcast was one of the better like conversations they've heard me have. So I'm really looking forward to what the feedback is here from this. Yes, I was. know for me, it was really thrilling and um, I'd love to make hopefully this an annual thing, have you on before the lottery and we can, we can make predictions and, you know, try yeah, to solve Robin, all of the I'm problems. Pull you into whatever my like lobbying government would love to things are please i need you on this <laughs> yep if, if we remain silent nothing will change right yeah. and i think that's the greatest thing we live in the greatest country in the world um we have the freedom to make choices for ourselves. and mm -hmm. one of the things i've always talked about is i don't want us to get behind in our innovation and technology advancements because we've led the way for decades and yeah. if we continue to restrict immigration and make it more and more complicated and difficult for individuals to come here and live that dream that we talked about. Um, our our generations behind us will be the ones that will will suffer from that. Yeah, and you're in Georgia, right? Correct. Yep. I'm. I'm in I, I have no idea what your political affiliation is, but if you can get yourself elected as a Republican senator from Georgia, and I can get <laughs> in as a Democrat senator from California, we'll have the like the great H one B alliance. Yeah. Well, you know, I would say I'm probably purple. 
um, would be the best way that I would describe my affiliation. Let's just start a pro-immigration party. Pip. Yeah, the, maybe we'll call it the pur purple part of those lines. Maybe that was, I, I don't know. We could spitball that more, but um, <laughs> no, that means a lot coming from you. I, I, I always talk about advocacy has to start at grassroots and you have to speak up because if you just yeah. sit back and you want to be a keyboard warrior, that's one thing. But if you want to like make meaningful changes, you've got to get boots on the ground and make it happen. So if there's anything I can do, um, for you going forward, absolutely would love to be a part of it. And, and like I said, just thanks so much for, for your time. Um, I really appreciate it. So go follow Sophie and Al Alcorn Immigration Law on, on all the channels and uh, check out her Discord, Any please. <laughs> yeah, there, there you go. And thank you again, Sophie. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and close this out. Um, again, today's live stream was brought to you by Syndesis and Path to Canada. The ideal plan B for high-skilled immigrants currently located in the U.S. whose status may be uncertain. If you're facing an H-1B denial or OPT expiration, don't get caught off guard. Make sure you have a plan B and Syndesis and Path to Canada are your answers. They'll gladly help you navigate the process. And if you'd like to find out if you qualify, please be sure to use the link in the video description below. And someone from Syndesis or Path to Canada will be in touch. By perm-ads.com, the industry leader in providing a seamless experience for employers and immigration attorneys navigating the complex perm recruitment ad phase of the labor certification process. If you want to reduce your cost and overhead associated with perm labor certification recruitment advertising, let perm-ads.com help you. And by Mob Squad, are you a technology professional facing U.S. work visa-related challenges? Don't leave your fate up to chance. Our partner Mob Squad has a solution. Mob Squad helps technology professionals facing U.S. work visa-related uncertainty remain working with their current U.S. company nearshore from Canada, as well as technology professionals from around the world who are seeking an opportunity to find a rewarding career in North America. Through their partnership with the Canadian government, they can obtain a Canadian work permit for you and your spouse in as little as eight weeks. So whether you're looking to stay working with your current U.S. company or you want to find a new opportunity in Canada, please find out how the team at Mob Squad can help you via the link in the video description below join the squad. And again, please like this video, subscribe to the H1B Guy channel here on YouTube, and click the bell for notifications so that you're notified anytime we go live like we did here today, 2.30 uh, Eastern on February 15th. Um, thank you again so much, Sophie, for your time. Thank you to everyone who joined us. And if you've made it this far, thank you so much. We really appreciate your support. Um, Sophie, hope you have a great rest of your 2023. I know we'll be in touch. And, thank uh, you, Rob. We'll talk before for then. I want to find out. I want to talk of, uh, after the uh, lottery numbers come through. Yeah, we'll. Um, I've got that. It was at the the 43 minute mark, so I've got that <laughs> noted. We'll. Uh, we've got that documented. And um, again, thanks for taking an hour out of your day to join me. Just really, really appreciate Aww. that. I'm Robert. I'm the H1B guy, your global source for all things H1B. All right, we're done.